why don't you just take a moment to draw near to the Lord Jesus. As we lift him higher in worship, as we lift him higher in praise, why don't you just, in your heart, begin to ask him to speak to you afresh. If you need to hear from the Lord today, just draw near to him in your heart. If you need your circumstances to be changed by the living God, draw near to him first in your heart. If you want wisdom on how to move forward, wisdom on what needs to happen next, or maybe you just need a, a release of the joy of the Lord in your heart and in your life, just start to draw near to him in your heart right now. Lord Jesus, we ask that as we lift you higher in this place this afternoon, Lord, that you would just begin to speak to our hearts. Lord, we ask you to come and meet with us, Lord. There is a deepening that needs to happen in our lives, Lord. There is a, 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 an intense need for your wisdom, your understanding, your life to begin to flow through us, Lord Jesus. Right where every person is, Lord, I ask by your spirit that you just begin to minister. Where there is anxiety and fear, that you would bring your perfect love. Lord, where there is anger and jealousy, Lord Jesus, that you'd begin to elevate self-esteem, Lord God. Where there is fear about what's happening in the future, I thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the one who was there at the beginning, you're there waiting for us at the end, and you're with us right where we are right now. And Lord, we can trust in you, knowing that you, your desire for us is good, that you have a good plan for us. You desire the best for us. Lord, I ask, Lord, for every person here, Lord Jesus, that there would be a, a, a real connection between the supernatural spiritual realm, the, the realm in which you live and in, in our lives here today. There'll be an intersection, Lord, in the way that we live out life between heaven and earth. And Lord Jesus, that we would truly begin to step into your kingdom here on the earth as you commanded. Lord, that we would learn to love God and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That we would be governed by the law, the command of love, the law of liberty, Lord, that brings us into freedom to love you. Lord, we thank you that you've set us free to love you. You've shown us your intense love for us by giving your son upon the cross. While we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, you loved us and you gave yourself for us. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you'd show us how to passionately live in that place of freedom, the freedom to love other people, free from fear, free from worry, free from how they're going to treat us. And if we are putting ourselves out there, how we're going to get loved back, but rather that you'd empower us to begin to love according to your word. Minister to us today by your spirit, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering this afternoon. Fantastic. And thank you so much to the team. Why don't you take your seats? It's been great to worship with you you guys today. Before we kick off into the message, I want the stewards please to hand out to you the prospectuses. Every one of you needs one of these. You need to read it, but you also look like you need a little bit of cooling down. So please just take one of them from the stewards as they pass them around to you right now. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Here in Kensington Temple, we are preparing for um, a prophetic word that the Lord has given to our senior leader, Colin Dye, concerning a new move of the Spirit of God. And and a lot of people are coming in and saying, you know, hey, you know what? Other churches and other ministries are also prophesying about a new move of God. And we're pressing in for what God wants to do here in this nation. And when that kind of a word begins to come forth, a decision needs to be made on our part. What are we doing to go with God? What are we doing to deepen our walk with the Holy Spirit? And here in the, in the house, as uh, Max was mentioning earlier, we have courses like Living Free and Mastering Leadership, which is a, a part-time course. 10 Tuesday evenings uh, that runs in, in term times, um, that's a great way to get started. There's also our evening schools, Wednesdays and Thursday evenings, uh, for those of you who want to complete Bible school over a longer period. But we really want to encourage you to think about the full-time school. If you're thinking about what can I do, how can I grow deep in the Lord, how can I prepare myself for the next step that God wants to take me into, the full-time school is for you. Now, we say full-time, but really it's quarter to nine through to one. So you can come to study full-time in the morning and then go to work full-time in the afternoon to keep your food on your table. But really, there's nothing more important than getting a good spiritual diet going on in your life. The greatest way to do that is through the Bible school. There's, uh, students have come in from everywhere. They're coming from America. They're coming from Germany, especially to receive what we have here in the house. We don't want you guys to miss out. 
those of you who are sitting here on a regular basis. So do come for more information. Shoma, she's here on the front row. She's the new administrator. She'll be at a table outside, um, ready to help you with any questions that you have. So please, if you're just thinking about it, come and let us know, and we'll be able to help you move forward with that. Okay? Fantastic. Well, we are partway into our, our second part, into our new series on what has love got to do with it? and uh, how to build relationship in the 21st century. And um, the message today is laying the right foundation. And I said to you last week that we would have a system set up where we would text questions in. Unfortunately, I was a bit swamped with being the dean, so I haven't sorted out a phone for you guys to text. So we're going to do it old school. Some of you have already submitted your uh, questions on Facebook, so we're going to have some of those on the screen after. But for those of you who have pressing questions during your time here, um, we are going to have Max here at the front. He's going to be able to help you with your questions um, and to answer your questions from the floor. So that's for you who are bold enough to ask your questions from the floor. Okay? Um, and today's session, we're going to cover the area of building on the right foundation. Guys, you can just have the normal backdrop up for just now. Um, you'll know when it's the right time to start going through the presentation. Um, how to build on the right foundation when you're getting into a relationship. Today we're going to look at how to lay a foundation. Next week we're going to look at how men can build an environment of love. So ladies, bring your man next week. They're going to hear um, a strong word. And the following week, women, you're going to learn about this vital skill of respect within a relationship. So men, if you're having a problem with your ladies, bring them along that day. And then the following week, we're going to be looking at um, how to build, rebuild after an argument or a bust up and, and make make for a deeper relationship as we move forward. So there's quite a number of topics we're going to cover. Um, and so, again, if I don't cover everything today, it's because I know that I'm going to cover it sometime in the future. So let's begin with a word of prayer because I need your grace today, as always, with these topics. It's good to see so many of you have come out. I wonder why that is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house this afternoon, Lord. We've come first and foremost to learn about your word and to learn how we can meet with you, Father. And Lord, that how our meeting with you and the deep work that you do in our lives prepares us for a relationship and prepares us for the direction you want us to go in. And so Lord, we ask that you'd cause our hearts to be ready to hear from you, to engage with you. And Lord, that we would take away those things that are of your spirit that would really enable us to take our relationships to the next level. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. What is a successful relationship? I wonder if you've ever sat and thought about this. It's more than just making it through. There's lots of people right now, I've heard of a number of 30th anniversaries coming up, and that is amazing. But this isn't just about uh, a successful relationship is one that makes it to 30 years or to 40 years or to 50 years. Because we all know that it can be the case that, for example, parents might decide to remain together for the sake of the kids until such time as the kids are old enough, move on from home, and then breakup begins to ha happen in the home. So this isn't about hitting a milestone or a, a, a year and saying that, therefore, is a successful relationship. So if we eliminate that, what sort of terms are we looking at? And I want to suggest to you that a successful relationship is where, ideally, if you're in a Christian context, you're growing in the Lord together, and you're growing together increasingly, getting to know each other more on a daily, daily basis, even when you hit 30 years, 40 years, 50 years that you're learning to live from the covenant that you've made to one another and realizing the potential that God has for relationship. It'd be amazing to see in 50 years' time those, those old couples. You ever see those old couples where they don't care what's going on? The music's going, they're up having a nice little dance together, gazing into each other's eyes, loving on each other. That's the sort of thing that's a, the sort of a successful relationship that maybe we're talking about. That they've grown together and in 50 years, they love each other more than they did when they started right back on day one. So last session, we looked at this idea of why wait? Uh, learning to possess our vessel. And someone asked me a simple question what does it mean to possess your vessel? And I thought the best way to deal with that would be to actually write uh, a bit of a, a note. So that will be going up onto the Facebook page this week. Um, so you j just need to go ahead and join it. Guys, I'll, I'll signal you when it's time to change the screens, okay? Uh, don't, don't rush ahead too far. 
So following on from those principles that I started last week, someone needs to move their car. Thank you. There are important principles that you need to start to put into place in your life. And so I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. But let me just say this, that, that the points that I made don't guarantee that the next one is going to be the one. But they prepare you and position you so that you're in the best possible place for when the right one comes along, you're able to build a relationship that will last. See, the problem is if you don't apply any of those principles, we'll cover them again today in case you're wondering what I'm on about, you're actually positioning yourself for a temporary relationship. Even if it lasts two years, four years, five years, it will still be temporary unless you're founded on certain solid principles. So we're going to cover those very shortly. But before we get there, I want to ask or begin to just unpack this idea of what the Institute of Marriage is about. If we are going to be preparing for marriage and, and storing up and, and building now a relationship that's preparing for Jesus, help me. Guys, take it off the screen. Leave it on this. I will tell you explicitly. Thank you. Sorry, brother. I know it's a little bit stressful. First time Kofi's helping me out. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, to understand the Institute of Marriage, what are we building towards? What are we going for? Now, in Genesis 2.18, it said that uh, the Lord created the heavens and the earth and the animals and Adam. And all of it was good, except when he looked at Adam, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And that began to lay a foundation for uh, marriage as, as a son leaves his parents and a wife leaves her parents, and they come together to form a new family unit. And as we understand marriage today, the covenant of marriage is about certain things, making a declaration before God and the church. Okay, and I'll sh share with you shortly what God views concerning marriage. But making a declaration before God and the church, making a declaration in the sight of the law, in front of your family and the community which you're a part of, that you are committing to be together in marriage. Now, the reason I make that point is that some people say, yeah, yeah, well, well we're married. I mean, we, we know, we're, you know we, we're committed to one another. We're, we're going to get married one day. You know, it's going to come. So right now we're married. But even in the world, people don't acknowledge that kind of uh, a definition of marriage. In the world, it is understood that marriage is all of those things, to make a declaration before God and the church in the sight of the law and in the community that you are a part of. If your community does not recognize that you are married, you're not married, if you've not made that declaration in front of them. If the law does not recognize that you're married, then you're not married. And if you want to find out how that works out for you, go try um, Claim 50% if you've not been in a marriage relationship. The law doesn't recognize it. Neither does God. So it's important that we understand the covenant of marriage is what we're talking about. And God views that marriage is intended to be a, a very intimate place. In Ephesians 5, through 33, we have Paul's great writing on this topic of marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is a savior of the body. Therefore, just as a church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of, the word by the, of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now here in these verses are some of the core revelations concerning God's heart for marriage. And you know, ladies, you might hear that, submit to your own husbands. Ouch. We'll cover that in two weeks' time, a bit more what that means. But think about this. Would you ever come to church and think, I don't want to meet Jesus in church. I do not want to encounter Jesus in church. You would never do that. 
Because G- church is the place where you come to meet with Jesus. So that when you go out, you know what Jesus is like and you keep walking with Jesus every day of your life. You come to church to experience Christ through the body. Now, if the church knows how to submit to Christ, we want Jesus in our lives, then that's this kind of relationship that he's talking about here. That wives would want the sort of relationship, the correct relationship with their husband of hedge, where he's taking a headship role. Equally, husbands love your wives. Build a re- an environment of love for them. See them flourish as they are washed with the, the word, as you minister the word in that relationship. See them flourish as you begin to believe in who they are and what God has placed in them to do. We're going to cover more of that next week. But God, in that, has communicated some of the uh, security, the purpose, the passion that he has for marriage, the love that he desires to flow in marriage. That's really God's ideal on what marriage is to be. So how is that all relevant to today? Because some people come with this argument, you know, the Bible's 2,000 years old. They probably haven't opened it for the 30 years old, 20 years, or whatever years that they've been alive. But they're coming with a prejudiced position. The Bible is a 2,000-year-old book that doesn't have anything to say to us today. Well, actually, it does. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about cohabitation. You know, our culture today, cohabitation is fine. Well, actually, it does. Because when you begin to unpack the Christian principles in relationship that are revealed through Scripture, you begin to see exactly how it interacts with our current view of relationships in this society. First off, in Scripture, it talks about roles, examples given there in the Ephesians 5 text that I just read to you. But inherent in creation and ordained by God is this idea of headship for the man and a place of security for the wife. And that they each are equally powerful, equally created, but they have different roles to fulfill within the context of that relationship. Sex, another great one where God speaks very clearly and directly. You know, sometimes people come to me and say, yeah, it doesn't say in Scripture that you're not allowed to have sex before marriage. What Bible are you reading? It says very clearly that we should flee sexual immorality. If there is no condition in which sex is appropriate or sexually moral, then there would be no condition in which sex is immoral. But in the context of Scripture, it refers to sexual immorality being fornication or adultery. Fornication, the definition of the word, is sex prior to a a marriage covenant commitment. Adultery is sex outside of that marriage covenant commitment. Sexual immorality, fornication, and adultery. Very clear. I don't know very many people who can cohabit without falling into sexual immorality if they're not yet married. And if they can somehow, by the grace of God, resist that, then it can either be grace or they don't have the normal drives that people would have. (laughs) The purpose of relationships, to know God, to enjoy each other, to procreate, to support each other through life and to support each other's dreams. The Bible speaks very clearly about the purpose of relationship. And perhaps the most important part is the idea that marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. I mean, legally, we do have a a legal recognition of marriage, but it's not a contract. It's not about if you, wife, wash my feet every week, then I, as husband, will give you your money to go shopping with. It's not about the contract. It's about the covenant, loving one another, esteeming one another, building one another up in our calls in Christ. The Bible speaks very clearly about all of those things. Now, that, how that relates, for example, to cohabitation, well, we've made a decision to engage in sexual, sexual immorality, taking that role of sex prior to marriage and engaging in that. There's perhaps n- no covenant. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to stay together because it's financially viable. What kind of a covenant is that? That's a contract. What happens when one person loses their job and the other person's now supporting? It begins to shift in favor of the one who is now supporting. Ah, I'm paying your rent. You better do what I say. There's no covenant that's being built there. The purpose is unclear. Oh, we're, we're just trying it out. We're just seeing how it goes. And if it goes okay, then, you know, we'll make that commitment. You know, 
I can tell you hundreds of people who've done that eight years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the line. Why didn't you make the step? We're going to cover some of that today. So now, guys, please, with screen one on the PowerPoint. I spoke last week on this left-hand column. Oh, so these, all these craning heads. Let me read them for you. Last week, I read a verse to you, 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, and it's a really a, a very a central verse for the topic that we're going to be covering um, right throughout the series. Um, God desires that we should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of us should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now here, left column, I said how important it was that as an individual, we learn what our identity is in Christ, that Christ has to be at the center of you. If Christ is not at the center of you and you don't know who you are in Christ, with all due respect, you don't have um, perhaps the right context to move forward in building a successful relationship. This is essential that we know who God has created us to be. In that context, Christ has set us free from sin, and we have to learn how to live out that freedom from sin. We're not free to sin, we're free from sin. So we need to learn how to manage our own freedom in according with love's priorities. So we know that Christ desires sexual purity from us, and Christ at the same time says, if you look at somebody lustfully, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. Well, what is the love's priority or love's decision is to learn how to choose to avert our eyes and prevent ourselves from looking lustfully at somebody so we don't fall into sexual immorality. Okay, you're understanding the context of what I'm saying. That we need to learn how to meet our need for love the right way. Sometimes people will make a compromise on their core values in order to get love. And we need to be ready to wait for the timing of the Lord. That's what I covered last week. Please go and check the message last week on kt.org if you need more information. But here on the right-hand side, this is you moving out of individuality into a relationship. And it's exactly the same thing, but now for a couple. So you've moved from knowing your identity with Christ at the center of you to knowing the identity and purpose of your relationship, that you are ordained for marriage, that you know that you want to spend the rest of your life with this person, and the way that you're going to do that is by putting Christ at the center. So the identity of your relationship is defined by the fact that you have Christ at the center of your relationship. And in this relationship, you now learn how to walk in freedom yourself and learn how to let somebody else, your partner, walk in freedom as well. Now, that is immensely key. Let me give you an example of that. You might, at some point, have had a problem with integrity in your relationships, and you couldn't stay faithful to your partner. And for whatever reason, you would go running off after other people and just to meet a need, and you'd end up breaking relationships. Then you came to meet with Christ and really dealt with that issue. It might have been that you, were, um, you had an abandonment disposition because your parents had either died or, or got divorced and left you when you were younger. Or somebody, one of the important key relationships earlier in your life, they had also left you. Something along those lines which had caused you to react and respond by, well, I'm not going to love anybody or trust anybody, and if I get too close or if you give me too much of a hard time, I'm just going to go somewhere else to find and meet my needs there. You deal with that issue. You learn to walk in freedom. But now you get into a relationship, but you're still afraid on some level that your partner is going to go and cheat on you. And so the way you start to deal with that, if you were practicing control, is um, who are you going out with tonight? Can I see your phone? Facebook account? Why, why have you locked me out of your Facebook account? You know, I used to have the password to this. What's going on? And I need to meet all of your friends and I need to know what they're like before I'm going to let you go out with them on your own. That's control. But when you walk in freedom, you give freedom to your partner. I trust you. I trust that you're going to make a decision to protect our relationship, and you're not going to go around talking to guys or girls that you shouldn't be talking to. You're not going to be giving your number out to different people. I trust you. Have a great night. That's what giving freedom is. 
loving each other the right way. Now, just to highlight to you on this, there's, it's important that we begin to ask the Lord for discernment on what loving each other the right way is. Because there are going to be issues that come up during the course of your relationship, some of which are going to challenge the foundation of your relationship, and some of which are going to challenge the foundation of your identity or their identity. So when you're dealing with something that is the foundation of your relationship, then you need to bring yourself and Christ into the equation. E.g., somebody sins against you, your partner sins against you. Now, A, you need to forgive them yourself, but also let them know that Christ has forgiven them. So Christ and you, because it relates to your relationship. But say there is a situation which is a concerning the foundation of their identity, maybe they're saying, you know, I'm really struggling with my faith right now. I don't even know that Christ, you know, really loves me and he believes in me and that he's forgiven my sin. The way to answer that is not, well, I've forgiven you and I love you, because what you're doing is drawing their love to you. You remind them, actually, no, you've got it wrong. Scripture says Jesus gave his life for you. Scripture says that Jesus loves you. Scriptures, and so you continue to reaffirm them in their foundation in Christ. So this idea of loving each other the right way, we can unpack that more. Maybe I'll write another letter on that on Facebook or something, but we'll unpack that a bit more later. It's a bit more complex for what, than what we want to do today. And this idea of building your relationship. You had to take time to prepare and wait for God, what God wanted to do in your life doesn't mean that you then go and get into a relationship which works just like that. When you're building a relationship, you've got to build over time. I guarantee you in the first three or six months, you'll feel like you know them so well and you want to go and propose and you want to get down and get the ring. It's all going to be great and you're just going to move it forward because everything's fantastic and you know them so well. Let me just let you know that you don't know them so well just yet. Maybe you need to figure out a bit more time than that. Minimum nine months. All right? Now, I'm not saying that so that you oh, I have to do nine months. I'm saying it so you think about the terms which you're building on. Don't rush into building this relationship. Now, I need to start motoring a little bit, but we got time. I'm sure you guys will stay all the way through to five o'clock if you need to. Next slide, please. Um, okay, so there are certain realms of relationship, and it's important that we begin to understand what these are. We have a relationship with somebody. And there are different things, which um, different components. First, we have spirituality. That's to do with our worldview, which is defined by our relationship with Christ. Now, this is really key. Some people are like, oh, you know, why do I have to have the same religion? Because your religion informs your worldview. And your worldview strongly recommend that they align within the context of your relationship. Otherwise, you're not building on a very solid foundation. So spirituality is, can you pray together? Can you worship together? Can you spend time with God and His Word together? Do you know Jesus? That's an important aspect, a very important central aspect of relationship, as you'll see soon. The next one is the emotional relationship. You know, we need companionship. It's, it's the, the nature of humanity. We are created for companionship, to meet the need for love for one another, to have intimacy, to spend time with people, to be able to talk to somebody, to be able to share life with them. That all fits under this aspect of emotional connection. That's a part of the relationship. Then we have the intellectual um, relationship. That's to do with how we share and negotiate ideas and, you know, Someone might have an artistic disposition and they view things in a very creative manner, whereas you might have more of a, uh, a linear banking or accountant or financial sort of mentality and you, you see things easily in numbers. And there's different aspects and different, therefore, characteristics which result from those core um, aspects of your character which lead to this intellectual relationship that you have. Again, that's a part of the relationship. And finally, uh, the physical aspect holding hands, kissing, and then moving beyond kissing into all of the stuff that I won't be explicit about from the platform. Physical relationship. Those components, physical bounces in, those components all go to form your relationship. And the order in which you build will determine the success of your relationship going forward. Now, in Matthew 7, verse 24, we read a passage that um, 
Jesus spoke about. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and the beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. There's a right way of building things. And there's God's way and the world's way. And, uh, oh, go back one. Thank you. Now here, just on the left-hand side, we see a relationship that's founded in a physical relationship. That's the worldly way of viewing things. Generally, people will respond to another on the basis of physical attraction. In our current society, they'll move very sexually into a, a physical relationship, very quickly into a sexual relationship. Then they'll begin to then make the assessment on what kind of an emotional connection do we have? What kind of a character or intellectual connection do we have? And spirituality, really, it's optional. And the reason that physicality forms such a foundation in the way the world would build a relationship is because of the intimacy that's generated in the physical relationship. It is intimate. But the problem with physical intimacy without a Christ-centered spirituality is that that is the pinnacle of lust. If we are not seeking to love the other in preference to ourselves, then we are practicing lust. If we're not willing to provide the security, especially I'm talking to the guys, if you're not willing to, to provide the security of a covenant relationship, then basically you're trying to get your needs met, not meet the needs of your wife-to-be or girlfriend at the time. Remember what Jesus had to say about adultery, that looking at someone with lust in your heart, well, looking at someone with lust in your heart then progresses to a physical rea- relationship is adultery or fornication if you're not yet married. And so this side is built like a house on the sand. Let me explain to you why. Because you have a physical relationship. Because you have that physical relationship, you might start to uh, get to know each other emotionally in a, maybe a deeper way. But because you've got the physical relationship, compromise the emotional aspect of your character. Have any of you reined in, you, you know, I, I just can't say this because if I say this, then our relationship's going to be broken and we're not going to be intimate and it's just going to fall apart. Or if I express what I thought about that, well, you know, things are just going to get difficult and they're going to make my life hard. And, you know, we're just not going to be able to move forward. And so what happens is you begin to compromise your emotional character and even your intellectual character. And what happens when you do that is that your relationship's only going to survive as long as you can dampen or ignore your emotional or intellectual differences. Because the moment you begin to realize, hang on, this person is really not compatible with me in this area, and we're just not as close as we used to be, Boom. It's built on the wrong foundation. On the right-hand side, we've introduced another foundation, the spiritual foundation, which on top of you then build emotional, character, intellectual, and finally, within the context of marriage, the physical relationship. Now, why is spirituality right there at the bottom? Because as we understand it, when we say as Christians spiritual, we're not talking new age spiritual and we're talking about unconditional love. We're talking about the sacrificial love that Jesus has demonstrated to us on the cross, that love for us being demonstrated in our relationship, right at the core. And so if you're conscious about building from that position, then you will make the right decisions which fit in the right context within the, right, within the worldview of Christianity. Now, what does that mean practically speaking? Here on the physical side, you might get into a physical relationship quite quickly. Here on the spiritual side, I'm not saying that you go out on your first date and you sit down. You're thinking, wow, she's got beautiful eyes. But you're saying, I read in the scripture today that... (laughs) I just want to understand where you sit with this wives submit to your husband's peace because that could be a deal breaker. I'm not talking about that. 
but I am talking about how quickly can you bring in God into your relationship? Would you consider praying with your girlfriend or boyfriend on the second date? Would you consider worshiping with them on the third date? Because you can. You know, some people I know, they, they wait till they get married before they start praying together. Is spirituality in that foundation? Maybe not. But when you build in with an understanding that I want to establish a strong spiritual connection, I want to establish a strong emotional connection, I want to get to know this person before I commit myself physically, then you're preparing yourself for a relationship which is going to last. Now, I made a big point about this physical aspect of remaining in marriage because that's what God's plan is. He wants safety for the two of you. He wants intimacy for the two of you. He wants you to know, if we flick on to the next slide, that when you hold the physical relationship for the right context, you've honored God as his temple through your relationship. You've not given the most precious part of you to somebody who doesn't deserve it. And equally, you've held it to somebody who loves you for you. Finally, if only you understood how much joy and fun God wants you to have in your physical relationship in the context of marriage, you wouldn't muck around with anyone else. Think about that. Okay, let's uh, get into some practicalities. How do we get started? Now, first up, attraction is very different to relationship. You know, there's an expression, uh, when we look at someone and we're attracted to them, it's an expression of perhaps a sense of compatibility, maybe on a chemical level or whatever, however you want to describe it. But when you begin to base the whole of your relationship on that initial physical attraction, you're ignoring the other three aspects, emotional, intellectual, physical. And this is the truth. It's possible to find different people attractive. But the fact that you find them attractive is different to being attracted to them. And it's also different to lusting after them or multiple thems when they're not yours. See, the first, recognizing that someone is beautiful is not sin. The second, beginning to be attracted to them, becoming a gray area if you don't guard your heart. But when you begin to lust after somebody, clearly sin. Now, I say this because I often hear this comment and I might have made it back when I was an immature Christian uh, two or three years ago. I'm just admiring God's creation. <laughs> but you see, when, you've, when your sexual desire is engaged, you've moved beyond the realm of innocent admiration into lust and therefore deception. <laughs> if you're saying to yourself, I'm just admiring God's creation, but you're lusting after them, you're not moving from a pure heart. And in building relationships, this happens when there's no other founding except physicality. You know, when people just respond to somebody because they're physically attracted to them, they find that they end up getting hurt and heartbroken when there's actually no relationship there. Now, next week, I want to focus a lot more for the men that you are responsible for setting this tone, the spiritual tone, the physical tones, the values, and the principles that are built, the relationship is built on. Are you moving intentionally from being a single vessel, possessing your single vessel, to providing the right environment for your relationship to flourish? And guys, simply, directly, what if I'm not there with God? If that's a question in your heart, you need to get there with God. You can't wait, or you can't start a relationship without getting there with God and expect it to work. There's no shortcuts. In rugby, there's a saying, if there's a, a ruck or a breakdown, they just start shouting at their teammates, you need to get there. Because if you don't get there and win the ball back, the other team gets the ball, the other team scores, right? There's no option on this. You don't wait until you're six months into the relationship and then you become a spiritual guy and start reading your Bible. You need to get there first and figure it out first. Difference between attraction and relationship. The difference between temporary and permanent. There are some guys who just want part-time relationships, and if that's you, you need to grow up. 
if you are a church flitter, you come to one church and you're like, oh, I need to go to another church. I didn't like the way they said that. I need to go to another church. I need to go to an You know what the problem with you is if you say that? Is you've got no root and you don't like to be challenged with the word of God. You need to figure out where God is calling you to be planted and you need to take responsibility. But moving on from that, you also maybe need to think about meeting the family if you're serious about the person that you're spending time with. Why? Because when you meet the family, try looking a dad in the eye. <laughs> I'm just messing around with your daughter right now. We're just having fun on the side. How do you feel about that? Don't try to operate individually away from the, the, the family unit. It's a place of safety for both sides. You'll see cultural differences. You'll see the stark reality of where somebody has come from. There is no excuse not to honor the family. Even if you need to fly all the way to New Zealand, the other side of the world, to do it, then you do it. And I did that, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> Guys, I'll let you in on a secret soon. That's the difference between temporary and permanent. Freedom versus control, another one that's important. You need to keep your friends in your life. See, freedom, if you're in a relationship, freedom is not letting the other person go ahead and do what they want. Hey, guys, we're in an open relationship. Hey, does that mean I can go and have dates with other people? That's not what we're talking about with freedom. We're talking about, with freedom, giving somebody the freedom to exercise a choice to protect relationship with you. You see, when you're not controlling and sitting on someone's case and you need to let me know what time you're going to be home and if you're not calling me by this time, then there's going to be trouble. Freedom. I trust you that you're going to do the right thing. To let them make a choice to honor the relationship that they have with you. Important three points. Now, I'm running out of time. How much more do you want to give me? Five? Ten? So, ten then? Some of you say half an hour. No. Half an hour is too long. Okay, now, that's important. Are you ready for a relationship? Are you ready for something that could go the distance? Are you ready to give freedom? Then you know you're ready to go, okay? Next slide, please. Now, love doesn't happen by accident. I'm just waiting for God to send along the right person. If you're a guy and you're praying that, Jesus. You need to get off your backside and go up to the lady that you like and ask them out. Try that. Maybe try to take some initiative. You might find that there's actually women in Kensington Temple. Because there are. Now, that means you need to get beyond the nerves. It means you need to come with a plan. You need to be okay for your plan to fail so that you know what you're doing next. But ask somebody out. Please, Jesus, all these women here are waiting for that. <laughs> and when you go out on your date, be yourself. Both of you, be yourself. Don't be super spiritual and, oh, I go to church five times on a Sunday. Just be yourself. And if you like each other, guys, ask them out a second time. And be clear about what your intent is. You know, some people, some ladies, unfortunately, have to deal with guys who, oh, let's go out for two dates. Okay, now I'm not going to call you for three weeks. And is he going to call? Is he not going to call? Dudes, please be intentional. Stop mucking the ladies around. And finally, avoid the curse of God told me. Hi. God told me you're going to be my wife. <laughs> I don't even know your name yet. Then tell me. <laughs> God told you what? You, somebody else? Okay. Just basics. Please. Start asking people out. <laughs> and you can find them in Kensington Temple because I did. <laughs> then the final one. Um, final slide, please. Okay, and when you start to build your relationship, you build in a place of unconditional love. You, we'll cover this a bit, quick, uh, a bit more in depth next week, but when you build a relationship, you're going to hear things that are difficult. Both of you have histories, and you need to choose what your heart position is going to be. Are you going to love? 
you're going to have to learn how to communicate, hearing what is being said and also learning to say what you really mean. And you're going to have to learn how to take time, time to build. You know, building a relationship is like making a fine wine. You know, if you bottle it too early, it tastes immature. If you let it go too long, it gets corked, it tastes old and stale. Take the right time to do things. If you've been together for three years and you still haven't proposed, what in heaven's name are you doing? That's a stale wine right there. If you're equally trying to get engaged after three weeks, what in heaven's name are you doing? That's an immature wine right there. You know what I'm saying? And other love stuff we can cover another time. So, summary, possess your vessel. Take that same skill that you've learned there into how you build your relationship. Build with wisdom. Take the time that you need to take. Love unconditionally and learn how to communicate and walk in intimacy. That's really about the best I can say for you. Um, questions? Does anyone have questions? No? Do any of you want to see some of the questions that got sent in? Okay. Kofi, please. Questions from the audience. I've been dating someone from another church. Is that okay? (laughs) Of course it's okay. But um, let me just suggest this to you, that when it comes time for you guys to get serious, you need to go to the same church, and you need to make your assessment based upon the grounding that you get in that church. If you can go into church and sit there on a Sunday, and nobody talk to you, and you leave church, and there's no other connection, then maybe that's not the church that you need to be going to. Maybe you need to be going to a church where you're grounded, where people can speak into your lives, where they can encourage you in your relationship, and so make the decision, the wise decision on that basis. And if you're both in this church and someone's saying, oh, I don't like KT, we need to leave, well, maybe you're here for the right reasons, that you need to be challenged. Thank you. Any of you here ask that question? Okay, that's an interesting one. I was a little offended with what you had to say about dating non-Christians. Some of my friends have amazing relationships and don't know Jesus. Why do you have such a stance on this? What if I had been dating a non-Christian and it's been physical, how do I move forward and honor God? Well, we have to cover them separately, I think. But the first question, I think I covered it when I said about worldviews. The point is that an Arsenal fan will never get on with a Man United fan, no matter how hard you try. So why do you think the same works when you put a Christian with a Muslim or a Buddhist or an atheist? You're moving from a different perspective. Now, it's true that some people do have great relationships out there in the world. But let me just ask you to be a bit discerning. Some guys look really happy on the outside when they're out with you, but how are they at home? Are they satisfied? Is she satisfied that the guy is taking the relationship in the right direction? Is he thinking, why is this woman so crazy? I can't propose to her until she sorts this stuff out. Maybe they're not in a place where we, exp- where they would, we would hope they are, okay? We strongly encourage that you Christians date Christians because you're moving from the same perspective, the same worldview. It's not to guarantee success. You're still going to have to work at your relationship. You are both responsible for possessing your vessels and the vessel of the relationship, both of you, not just the guy or just the girl, both of you. The second question, what if I have been dating a non-Christian and it's been physical, how do I move forward and honor God? Well, um, the first question uh, kind of answers the aspect of non-Christian. It's got for physical, well, are you still in the relationship? Do you want to continue the relationship on the basis that you know that you're going to be excluding spiritual intimacy? and perhaps compromising emotional and physical, uh, emotional and intellectual intimacy, you want to continue in the relationship, go right ahead and do that, but you will see the consequences that come with that. My strongest advice would be, if that's the case, that you repent, you set clear boundaries, and if they're not willing to abide by those boundaries, then you end the relationship. Is that fair? Last question, please. Seems everyone that I go on a date with is only looking for a casual relationship, I want something more serious. What do I do? Look in the right place. If you're going on dates with people in the clubs, they're probably not looking for a serious relationship. Yeah, but I work 24 hours a day, you know, I don't ever get to meet anybody. 
Okay, well, maybe go hang out with some friends again. Maybe get a social life again. Maybe start to meet people that way. Worst comes to the worst, go on christianconnection.com, sign up, fill in your profile. But go to places where you're going to meet the right people, okay? Church is a great place to meet the right people. Think about that. Um, and pray. That's the right context to pray in. Awesome. Father, we thank you for this time together today. Lord, we ask as we prepare for relationship or as we assess our current relationship, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom. If we've been lacking that spiritual intimacy, Father, show us how we can begin to get beyond the embarrassment and weirdness of praying together and worshiping together and, and just get to a place where we can and that we would meet with you right at the center of our relationship. If we've been involved in physical relationships and um, and are wanting to move forward in a way which honors you, Father, I thank you for your healing. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for the strength to stick to the values that you have laid out for us for our benefit. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that you just begin to progress these relationships along in a meaningful way, taking them to a place where they are building towards marriage, to a place where they can enjoy the intimacy that you've prepared through a relationship, through spiritual, emotional, physical, and intellectual intimacy, Lord. And Lord, that we would see plenty of relationships begin to rise up that bring you glory and restore humanity's faith in marriage as we see Christians doing it the right way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Well, God bless you. I'll be back with you next week. Um, we're looking at the environment of love. Do you remember Bruce is here at the 5 and 7 o'clock service? Um, so it'll be a Sermon on the Mount at 5 and uh, Holy Spirit service at the 7. And Bible school, please, please, please come and see us at the Bible school table and let us know if you're interested in that. Thank you. God bless you. Enjoy your day.